Good morning. If you want to look uh, up the scripture for this morning, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 in just a few minutes. Um, it's been, what, eight months, Seth, since you have been here? Eight, ten, nine, seven, seven, eight. One of the, the first weeks that Seth Milhone and his family uh, were here, I noticed that in his back pocket there was a book, and the title of that book said Slow Church on it, and I thought, interesting, I haven't read that yet, interesting concept of a slow church. There's a, there's a slow food movement that came through in the, in the wave of the 20th century where everything was, let's go as fast as we possibly can, let's industrialize everything, and let's have fast food restaurants that show you how many people we've served versus how well we've served the people. There was a, re- a response to that that actually began in Italy that was this slow food movement that would rally against the fast food movement by standing outside of restaurants like McDonald's with bowls full of penne pasta. And they would eat their pasta saying like, you cook a good pasta slowly versus whatever you're making on that burner inside of that McDonald's restaurant that you have. Meanwhile, McDonald's was totaling up how many million, billion people that they served. I'm from a small town in Kentucky, and that was really the only sign I can remember growing up is this McDonald's location with this giant sign in front of it showing how many million people had been served, and I was intrigued by it because as a five-year-old, there were only about 3,000 people that lived in my town. And I'm like, how did a million people come here? Like, I thought it was there at that location that like a million people have come through Maysville and gotten whatever's in the chicken nuggets and left. But there was this response that said, we want to be a slow food movement. That's turned into some slow finances. There's, there's, a, there's a movement around everything slow now that has established in a response of instead of you having to go super fast to get a quick result, let's slow down and experience life in, in whatever that activity is together. Whether it's food, agriculture, finances, education, there's a response to the speed of the Industrial Revolution with, let's just slow down and do things together. So there's also a slow church. There's a community of church leaders around the nation, probably the world, that would say this mega church movement, however you want to define that, is too fast food for us. We want to slow down and experience authenticity in the ethics that we approach church with, the ecology of our church, and the economics of our church. And that became the foundation of a a slow church movement that would say we want ethically, we want to be at the same page that it is authentic for everyone. Ecologically, we want to be in tune with the redemptive reconciliation of Jesus and our invitation to be part of using creation for creation's purpose. And from the economic side is the provision that God has given to his church on behalf of his kingdom to steward the right resources wisely in order to bring that reconciliation back to him. And that in a fast environment, 
you cannot nurture those three effectively. That's, that's kind of the overview of what the slow church was. And the reason that I know that is because after seeing the book in Seth's back pocket, I downloaded the audio version of it, went into the settings, increased the speed to 1.5 times, and I read it. Because I want to slow church as quickly as possible. Right? Like that's me. I, the, I, the idea of authenticity and a communal approach and stewarding wisely and being connected, all of that sounds really, really, really good to me. But I want it yesterday. I want to experience it in the brokenness that I see around me now. I don't want to go slow. I want the, the product of a slow church in the speed of everything that I'm experiencing now. And so there's some tension for me in actually having to slow down enough to pursue God at the pace that his kingdom is moving. So Seth, as he leads us, was in tune with this book, seeing it as working cohesively with scripture. And as we were getting ready to start into this post-Christmas series and we started the new year and it was easy for us to talk about lists and resolutions, things that we're going to start doing that we weren't doing and additional goals that we wanted to accomplish. His word was, what if we just slowed down? What if we should slow ourselves and figure out who we are as a community? And where God is guiding us. And what we need to reconcile. And what we need to build from. And how we need to move forward together. So for the next few weeks, you're going to hear us teaching on this idea behind Slow Church. We recommend that you pick up the book as we go through it. Uh, We're not going to replace scripture with the book at all. We're going to find whether or not the principles in the Slow Church uh, structure align with the biblical principles of echo and move forward with that so if you want to pick this up and go along this is all about dialogue it's not about agreement it's not about falling in line it's not follow the leader mentality it is let's dialogue about something that has been so transformative for the lead minister of our church that will work its way into the ethos of the church as we move forward together but let's own it collectively with one voice. So that's the pre-message to the message of why we're here telling you the story that we're telling you today. And it's also my scapegoat, right? Like, if you don't like it, it's Seth's fault. Just doing what he told me. I'm just kidding. I'm really bought in on the idea. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start our journey towards slowness. Jesus, thank you for writing the story that you have written to us, inviting us in to own the reconciliation of the world back to you along with you and through you. Slow me down as I share this morning the thoughts that are racing, the ideas that motivate. Just slow me down, slow us down. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. The question, how is your engine running, is one that you will find asked regularly around the back-to-back world. Back-to-back, for those of you who are new, is the organization I work for, global and 
um, and local orphan care for vulnerable children. And we have found over years that early childhood trauma affects brain development and affected brain development sends chemicals through the, the body that are hard to regulate, very difficult. But you don't have to only have experienced early childhood trauma to be out of regulation. You could see the blue and red lights flashing behind your car as you were just barely going beyond the speed limit toward the Christmas party that you were already late for and you're out of regulation. You could see your boss walking into your office with some pink pieces of paper in his hand or you could see the urgent email coming across and in black bold on your desk and go, oh no and you're out of regulation. You could experience loss, you could experience frustration, you could break your favorite toy, you could have your favorite restaurant closed down in your neighborhood, and you're always dysregulated. So we often ask around back to back, how is your engine running as code to be able to see, are you in a good season, are you at a good pace, are you able to deal with the conversation that we're about to have? It sounds very childish when you ask how your engine is running. We actually have a plate that has colors on it and a little piece of paper that is an arrow, and you move your arrow back on where you are. If you are in red, then your engine is running too hot, you're moving too fast, you're too active. You may throw a punch today at someone. You're definitely going to buy a loved one some type of reconciliatory gift for yelling at them later. You're running in red. Sometimes we're running in blue. We're depressed. We don't want to come out of our house. We don't want to face the world. We let all of the emails build up for one more day because even opening them seems like it's too much. We don't want to see anything. If we check social media on a day that we're living in blue, all the world has everything that they've ever wanted and I don't have anything that I've ever asked for. We're running in blue. And then there's green. Green is good. Green is in the middle. Green is at a safe place where I feel like I both know and understand who I am, how I'm experiencing the world, and I can face the challenges in front of me without being overwhelmed by them, but I'm not running away from them. I'm in a good place. I'm green. The child aspect of this works really well when you're working with kids who have experienced trauma because you can teach them the colors and you can walk into a room and you can see them working toward red and say, how's your engine running, Johnny? And Johnny can go, it's red. Okay, and then we can teach some regulation ways in order to pull that back down before Johnny gets kicked out of class or punches his brother in the face. For adults, though, it sounds a little bit weird, and when you're working with high schoolers, which is what I do most of the time, to pee out a piece, a little plate, and say, how is your engine running? Most of the guys that I work with, we will use one finger on their hand to show me how their engine is running very quickly without ever moving the needle on that piece of paper. They'll be like, I'll show you how my engine is running right here. So this weekend, we were doing an activity for several of the students from Cincinnati that we were working with, and I'm like, how do I take this question of how is your engine running, how are you experiencing life, and how do I move that into a way that high school guys from some of the, the most difficult, hardest neighborhoods in Cincinnati would actually participate in? So I went to Home Depot, and I got a bucket, and I found rocks. The only three colors of rocks that Home Depot had were white, black, and brown. And so white became red brown became blue, and black became green. So white was, my engine is running too hot. I'm frustrated. I'm upset. I might punch someone here. Brown is, I just want to disconnect. I don't want to experience reality. 
I want to go into my bedroom and play Fortnite for the next six days. And black was, I'm in a good place. Life is good. Life is healthy. I feel good. Out of the room of 30 of this, there were only three of us that were white. And these young men I've built a relationship with, and immediately they were like, did you put black in the middle because you didn't want us to be mad at you? That was, that was the question from 17-year-olds, and I was like, I definitely wasn't putting white in the middle. That's all I'm going to tell you. And they were like, we appreciate you. Thank you for doing that. Session one started with an introduction to these three colors and an invitation to the guys in the room. How's your engine running? You've driven an hour and a half in a car with people that you barely know to come to a retreat for a day. Where are you? 100% answer. I'm green right now. I'm a, I'm a black rock. And they all set their black rocks in the bucket. We're all good. Three sessions later, a mere four and a half hours later, the black bucket was pretty empty and the white bucket had become pretty full. The, the conclusion was, the more time we spent together talking about the things that are important in our life but aren't going well for us, the more that our engine moved toward, I'm out of control. And the bucket started getting full with these white rocks because we were talking about hard things and the hard places that we're from. And we were talking about life in the day. How's your engine running? As you start your week, start your year, how would you fill the bucket as you start this morning? Would you come in as a black rock and say, I'm good? How did you end the year? Completely disconnected from reality, saying, hey, I'm just, just going to go in my little bubble and ignore everything. Angry at the world. Popping off at your family. Losing your mind internally. Maybe you don't even express it externally, but internally you feel like I'm just one match away from an explosion. The more that we are together, the longer that we spend time with one another, the more that we engage in life, we move, the needle moves from left or right, and we become agitated, frustrated, concerned. And we're, we're human, so that's okay that the needle moves. The question is, who helps us regulate to get back into that place where we can represent something that is healthy? What's that community look like? Jesus would say that that is him, and as he started his ministry, he would say that that is the principle surrounding the kingdom that he was building, would be this healthy community that helps you navigate through the difficult, the lonely, the unknown, and the adventure. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The church 
is invited to be a community that reflects the blessing of these statements. By blessing, I work with a definition that says it's really the well-being, the, the green, the health of my reconciliatory relationship with God in his kingdom. So when Jesus is saying blessing, he's saying, I want you to be well as you're reconciled to me and my kingdom. Your blessing is you are well when you are poor in spirit. You are well when you are mourning what needs to be mourned. You are well when you are making peace. I was looking through the definition of each of these to see if I even agree with that, and I looked through. Poor in spirit could be defined as those who recognize spirit. Our spirit recognizes that we need help from God. We cannot do it alone. This stood out on Friday when one of the guys looked back at me and he said, to each his own. That was his statement in us working as community to try to overcome circumstances that we've had in our path. He's like, no, I think I can do it myself. I think I can carry all of the burdens that have been placed on me. I can carry the abandonment. I can carry my record. I can carry my loneliness. I can carry the fact that I've been shot twice for dealing drugs. I can, I can do it all by myself. He was like, to each his own. You might need a community, but I don't need anyone. I can do it alone. I thought, are you sure? Because I think the recognition that we cannot do things on our own is the beginning of blessing. Do you recognize that it is okay, even healthy, to be in a community where you can ask and receive help without shame or judgment? To mourn. Define that as a longing for healing or forgiveness from that loss, from something that I've lost. That I mourn the loss of things such as humanity, and I mourn that, and it takes time. It, it goes slower than any of us would ever want it to go. I thought I had mourned the loss of my grandmother. It was my last grandparent who was still here. She passed away in May, and then we started to get Christmas ornaments out. And every year for the last 40 years of my life, my grandma was the one who bought, picked out, wrote little things on the back of, and dated a Christmas ornament for each one of us every year. And so as the boxes opened and we started to look at the Christmas ornament, I realized the morning is not over. There's more in there. There was celebration, sure, but there was still a, why this Christmas? Why now? Blessed are those who mourn. The meek. Pursuing the world through gentleness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness reflects a journey or a pursuit that God's character would be evident in our lives. That I long for it. I thirst for it. I thirst for his character not to just be out there as a gift to me, but to be reflected in me as I engage in the world. Pure in heart. 
I look at this as just a simple pursuit of integrity with God. Is my heart clean in front of him, with him, around him? To be a peacemaker, to promote wholeness both personally and communally. Do I live life holy? Have I buried the parts that I feel are dead or numb and have just leaned, I guess, toward the parts of my life that I feel okay with? Do I ignore the negative in order to just be with the positive? Or do I come with my whole self? Am I at peace with both my broken past, the struggle of my present, and my hope for my future? And do I offer that peace to those that I like and agree with, to those I want to like and agree with, and to those I dislike and disagree with? Am I at peace? with those who live around me and those who I invite to live around me and those who I put up walls away from to keep away from me. Am I at peace with them? The peacemaker. The persecuted to be wrongly treated because of the faith and what I believe are the rest of this list, that I believe it's Jesus saying, those will be persecuted when you live out these first seven you will be wrongly persecuted for looking like this. What I found in looking at that list of the Beatitudes, which I think is the foundation of a slow church, I would say that you don't become a peacemaker overnight. We don't mourn in a day. We don't become codependent on Jesus quickly. And it could take a lifetime to pursue interdependency and community. The longer that I'm married, the more selfish I find myself. The more I find that there's a deeper level of interdependency that I can let go of. The longer my friendships go, the uglier I see some of the ways I treat my friends and and the uglier I see their personalities as well. I didn't know that about you. That's gross. Do I still like you? I have to decide. The longer that we live life with others, the more difficult it will be, but the more beautiful it can become because we can find peace as we move forward together. So how is your engine running? Do you come to places like this? Do I come into a place like this and hope for Jesus just to fix everything long enough for me to get through six more days of the chaos so that I can come back to this? Or do I have so much of this outside of this room that I don't need a service to regulate. I have a community to live with. How is your engine running? At the end of our day on Friday, we had a bucket full of white rocks. 
And at this point, the guys were not super sold in on the fact that they were train wrecking their own lives with these rocks and that they needed to depend on one another. So we challenged them to a race. We asked for the two fastest guys in the room, and two boys immediately shot their hands up and were just like, yeah, you can't beat me. No one can beat me here. I'm the fastest guy here. And then we played a nice little game of paper, rock, scissor to see who won. Keontae won the, ra- the, the paper, rock, scissor. So that meant that he got to pick up the bucket of rocks and walk outside and race Cameron. Cameron had no bucket, and Keontae's bucket was full of rocks. White rocks. White, hot, my engine is running at a crazy speed, rocks. And I said, Keontae, do you think you can beat Cameron carrying this five-gallon bucket full of rocks? He's like, absolutely I can. He's slow. And I looked at Cameron and said, you better be fast enough to not screw up my illustration. (laughs) Because if this goes really wrong, like, Jesus isn't real and we all have to go home and start over. Like, I don't know what happens. And Keontae picks up the bucket of rocks and he first tries to hold it by the handle. He's like this. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, you're going to run like that? He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to run like, okay, I'm going to run like this. And he has the whole bucket in his hands, and he's holding all of this stuff. I'm like, you can beat him. Yes, I can beat him. Are you sure? Yes. You don't want to set it down? No. I want to race like this. Okay. You know the rocks can't fall out, right? He's like, Oh, I can't just dump them? Because his thought was, I'll dump them and just keep running, or I'll throw the bucket. No, you have to hold it the whole way. Can you beat him? I can beat him. Ready, set, go. Five steps in. The race is a little closer than I thought, and I'm getting nervous. And then Keontae completely loses his balance. The bucket falls. The rocks go everywhere. Cameron wins by a mile. What happened afterward was interesting to me, though. All of Keontae's friends wanted to blame Cameron for running into Keontae because there's no way that our guy, our leader, our fastest guy here, the one who is like the ethos of village himself, like he's the guy who's making it, There's no way that he gets beat by the new kid. And so they're making up excuses for him. You didn't lose. Like, he ran into you. You should run again. We should go. And as Keontae comes back and he brings the bucket and we're picking up rocks, I'm like, did he run into you? And he's like, no. I've never been so off balance and trying to run than when I had those rocks in my hand. That bucket threw me off so badly that I couldn't run with it. So we went back inside. Keontae told that to everyone. And then we started a discussion around how easy it would be just to dump all of the rocks out and just imagine that none of it was real and we could just walk freely. But that wasn't reality. Don't don't you wish it were? Don't you wish you could just take that rock that just sent you into chaos and just like throw it off to the side and just go home, right? Like you just go home and your bank account's good. You just go home and grandma's 
back. You could just go home and your family that's been fractured for years and years and years is just reconciled. You could just go back to it and it would just all be better. Like, that would be great. But we can't just set a rock out and go home and act like it's over. We have to carry the rocks until there's a right place to put them and set them out. But that slows us down. That means walking. That means walking together. Because no one should carry this burden alone. So I hope that we become the church that walks together as we figure out what to do with these rocks. And not the church that just fakes it and pretends that all of our engines are just running right. Because some of us are running too fast. And some of us aren't running at all because we've disconnected. But we're being invited to run together. But slowly. As slow as each of us needs. So that we all finish. We pray. Jesus, thank you for the Beatitudes, these, these words that bless the things that we struggle with so much. Bless us this week. I pray that you help us and that you bring people alongside of us to carry our burdens with us and that you teach us to slow down to walk with you and one another. It's through you that we pray. Amen.